How are we today? Advent season. This is my fourth Advent here. And, uh, right? March will be a fourth anniversary. Before we get started in the Word this morning, um, I just want to introduce a guest to you. Uh, We have Tyrone from Horizon College and Seminary here. As many of yeah, he's he's fantastic. If I knew he was coming, I would have got him to share this message because he's a really good communicator. And um, here's the thing: so we became a, a Horizon Hub a while ago, where we would offer courses. With another one coming up in January. If you have any questions about Horizon or theology. (laughs) Why don't you talk to Tyrone? He'll answer life's deepest questions for you because he works for a Bible college. So obviously he knows all of the answers. But we're just pleased that you're joining us this morning for worship. So welcome Tyrone. And then the second thing is uh, we just want to welcome as well um, the online people because we are live this morning. Um, so welcome to the millions watching at home. It's my mom. Well, my dad makes breakfast or something like that. But yeah, so just welcome to you guys at home um, who couldn't be here. There's so much sickness happening. Um, colds and flu, it's just, it's just awful. And so, yeah, I'm glad that we have the ability to do things like this so that everyone can be included in worship. Amen? Advent. For those of you who are like, what is the Advent? Advent is a word that comes from our church calendar. It is the four weeks of anticipation of Christmas where we, we gather together and we are focused in this special time in the church calendar where we look at hope, we look at peace, we look at love, we look at joy, and we look at Christ, and we anticipate the things of God. Amen? Advent is a very special time for churches. At least it should be, because we put aside all of the busyness of the season because Christmas gets busy, unnecessarily busy. But we set that aside and we focus on what is important, the fact that we have a Savior. All through God's story, people called him Savior from the patriarchs to the prophets to the pilgrims to the pioneers, hope and faith in God. And the world we desperately want to see restored and renewed. Now, hope and faith are fun words because they don't actually mean the same, even though we lump them together as one word quite often. Hope is defined as something that we want to happen or be the case. It's something we want. I want more vacation time. Just kidding, I really don't. I like my job. I want more time traveling. I want I want a bigger house. I want better cars, etc. etc. These are these are common things we talk about that we want. 
We want them to be the case. We want a promotion. We want good grades. In our Christian life, we also have hopes. We have hopes, things that we want to see happen, maybe in our church, maybe just in our lives. But collectively, we have a hope that Christ will continue to redeem as we move closer to the promise of his coming again, a new heaven and a new earth. My, my question for you, though, this morning, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but so what? How does that affect us today? That we have hope in these things that are unseen. So what? I, I hope for a lot of things in my life. But um, I got to be honest. When, I, when I'm like, okay, I, I hope that I travel more next year. Eh, I don't really have a, a lot of actual hope in that. It's like, eh, if it happens, it happens. We hope for promotions at work or at school that our grades are better. But like, it's like, well, if I work hard, maybe I'll get to see those things. That's not really the type of hope we're talking about this morning. Let's cross over to faith. Faith is a very strong Bible word, right? We talk about our faith, the faith that we have in God, the faith that we have built in our hearts. The, the definition of faith is complete trust or confidence. A complete trust or confidence. That's quite different than something you hope in. I, I hope to see things work out in my life. Ah, don't have much control over that. But if I have faith in something, I have a complete confidence that it's going to happen. That's really a different story. And I think that's really what Advent is all about, is focusing back on those things that we actually have faith in. We talk often about the, the, the bullseye of, of our, our theology, the bullseye of our faith, right? So in the center, you have the dogmatics. You have the stuff that does not move. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This doesn't move. Then you branch out and you have your theology, and this changes church to church and understanding to understanding. And then you have opinion on the outside. But when we come back, we put our faith in the things that are actually meant to be there. I think Advent really gives us a clarity that the season needs. And it's fun that the, in the church calendar that Advent is actually the beginning of the church year. It's not the end of it. January might start a new thing with Epiphany, etc. However, our year starts now. It starts this week as we anticipate the things of God for the year ahead. Now, it has been said, it was a John Wesley quote. I need coffee. Hang on. And I spilled. How do you spill when you have a lid? Goodness. It's bad. It's a John Wesley quote. And it's the, this one that it perpetuates a lot, and it comes out of the, the, the holiness movement of the, the 1700s, right? So, because Pentecostalism, as we are, is born out of the holiness movement. We, we're, we're like the next step. This is us now. But the, the, the sentence is that what one culture, how's it go? What one culture endures, the next the next generation embraces or something like that. 
And this has always struck me as like one of those things. It's like, does anyone know the actual quote? I didn't write it down because I was like, I know this. I don't need to write this down. But it's like, well, one generation endures, the next generation embraces. That's good and fine. However, what if we talk about this in terms of our faith and our hope? Because I think a lot of times in Christianity, we get really hung up on hope and we forget to get to the next step. We forget to get to the faith step. We want to we mix these things together. And so we have a lot of hope in things. But then when it's like, okay, what do you actually have faith in? What do you have confidence in? It's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe some stuff. But what if we flip that around and say, what one generation, oh, it's what one generation tolerates, another endures. That's what it is. I did write it down. Wow, I'm so smart. But how about we flip that? What one generation rests on in hope, that lack of faith, the next generation endures. I think my generation as a bunch of cynics, a bunch of Gen Xers who are cynical about everything. Who, who's a Gen Xer in the room? We need more Gen Xers in this church. I need to see more Nirvana t-shirts. Like, come on. Um, but my generation as Gen Xers, we, we got real burnt out on a whole bunch of pieces of religion and had to make some separations between what was real and what wasn't real, what is hope and what is faith. And the problem is, is that we started teaching that down and we started teaching hope as faith and really watered down that belief system. That's my fault. That's my generation's fault. We didn't take seriously enough the stuff that needed to be taken seriously. And so now you've got a whole bunch of Gen Xers and different generations who are really kind of disenfranchised. It's like, well, I've been taught this in church my entire life. You're telling me now this isn't true? You hear that way too often. But the things of God that we know as truth, as dogma, as the center of that bullseye, those are the things worth putting faith in. I don't want to see the next generation resting on hope and calling it faith. I want the next generation that we see, and I know Nikki is, boy howdy, the best youth ministry I've ever seen, and that's after 15 years of youth ministry. But... Don't clap. We don't have time. <laughs> Buy her a cake or something. I want to see the mistakes of the teachings of my generation fixed to the degree that that next generation that comes up, my son and my daughter, and, and, and those of you who are younger than me in this room, that there is an actual faith, a substance to what you believe. That when you say, I have faith in the God above, that you actually mean it. In the words of the prophet Isaiah that were read this morning, thank you guys for reading the scriptures. Isaiah always used his prophetic imagination to paint a picture of a world to come 
to, to show that there's, there's something more, there's something in the future. Please look forward to something that God is going to do. And then, and we, and then it was also read then, by Tammy the, the, from Mark, where Jesus is like, yes, so I am here now, but there's more. It's this constant thing in scripture where it's like, this will come. Then it comes, it's like, but this will come. But this will come. And we have a great hope, but we should have a great faith that those things are real. So consider the Isaiah 64 is then Mark comes and, and establishes that and says, but there's more to keep looking to the future with hope. And that's why we do things like at the end of the service, we're going to have communion and we're going to sing the Apostles' Creed. That's why we do these things, why we keep repeating over and over the same benediction, the same song sometimes, because there's a great piece of our faith installed in the words that we sing into the atmosphere. Even think of uh, Haggai and Malachi. Should have had this ready as well. And then I have to rely on a phone, which is always a disaster. Okay, so Haggai 2, 6 and 7, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fulfill the house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. And then we see that repeated again. Uh, talking about John the Baptist then in Malachi, uh, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. There is this constant thread in scripture, this beautiful golden thread that pushes us to the future. When we think that, well, we'll just rest here, this is good. No, God is always doing something more. God is always pushing us to the future to say, I'm going to do something great among you. I'm going to do something great on this earth. And so the, the hope of these prophetic utterances is colored in with faith. So we can see that all things are possible for those who believe. Here's the thing about faith, though. When we talk about the faith that we have in God, it is not held in the unknown. I've heard that far too often that, well, we have faith because it's, it's unknown. So we, we have to have faith in it. So we know that's hope. We don't have faith in what is unknown. We have faith in the unseen. Those are two very different things, unseen and unknown. I don't have hope in Jesus. I have faith, I have confidence that what he said is true. Hope alone is a never-ending cycle. It would just continue to go and go and go. I can hope, but unless I put my faith somewhere, it remains static and unmoving. But then God. But then Jesus. St. Anselm of Canterbury said, I do not seek to understand so that I may believe, but I believe so that I may understand. And what is more, I believe that unless I do believe, I shall not understand. Faith and hope can become 
murky territory because oftentimes we like to turn God into a vending machine. We're really good at that as Pentecostals. And God is not a vending machine. He is not a magic genie. What I do know is that Scripture speaks of things restored. Scripture speaks of restoration. So this morning, I want to to illustrate this a little bit. What are some things in our in our Christian world that we hope for? Uh, conflict and war. Getting a little tired of conflict and war. Scripture tells us that these things will always be there, but we we need to be hoping and putting our faith in the fact that Scripture does declare that weapons be turned into plowshares in the end. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We We look forward to a time when war comes to an end in Jesus' name. Amen? So that's something that we would put on this. We we would say that war and conflict, that's something that we want to see changed in the world around us. So we, we have hope in that, that these things can shift and they can change. Um. How about racial tensions? How about the fact that we have to keep bringing it up over and over again because we still don't get it? We still don't understand that all men are created equal. We still don't understand that absolutely every single human being is created in the image of God. So these are things that we're like, okay, We need to see shift on this. We need to see change. Our understanding of eschatology, which is just the fancy word for end times, which we believe started 2,000 years ago. This giant clock, this giant ticker. But scripture tells us that in the end, that the church will rise. Who rises in power, rises in prominence, because the name of Jesus needs to be everywhere. So that's something we hope for. That's something that we want to see, is that the church will rise. The church takes its place as a, as a, as a piece of every society where the name of Jesus is spoken into problems, and we see them shift. We see them change. We see restoration happening in that world. Speaking of church, we have hope that divisions, schisms, tensions, conflicts alleviate in the name of restoration. Because if, if we're to be working towards these things of restoration, then I'm pretty sure that seeing a world around us where a church is unified By the way, unity does not mean the same, that we're all the same. That is not what unity means. That means unity means that we support one another. We have each other's back. You think of all the churches in the city that we 
We don't have to be like everyone else. We can be what we are as Calvary Temple. But we have the back of the other guys. I think even inside church, um, this is probably the, the one church that I've been to that is better at this than any other. But the divisions that happen inside the body, that we learn to prefer one another. We, we learn to look at one another and say, I'm going to pray for you even though I think you're crazy. But then moving past the crazy part and not thinking each other's crazy anymore. Another thing we have hope for as we talk about restorations is relationships. I have seen in my ministry career more miracles inside of restored relationships than I have anything else. I, I, I sometimes think I have more faith to see relationships and families restored than anything. But these are things that we, we look at and we're like, okay, I have some faith there, maybe, but for sure I have hope. What's something else? Give me one more so I can equal out these two piles. It's going to drive me crazy. What's something else we want to have hope in? Healing. We know that scripture talks a lot about healing. It tells us a story where Christ heals. I can't think of anything restored better than someone's body being healed. Hey? So, we have hope. We've kept these things close to us. We have, we have some hope in them. And that's okay. I think that hope is a great place to start. But sometimes we need faith. We need to move things past this, this tension of hope. It's like, I really, you know... I'm really hoping that God heals me. I'm really hoping that I see my relationships restored. I'm, I'm hoping that my church becomes more unified. I'm hoping that I don't turn on the news tomorrow and see another war. But as we look to the future, we know that we serve a God who restores, a God who is just bent on restoration of all things. Because we, we look at the new Jerusalem and the new earth that we're promised, it screams restoration. So what if we were to move these from hope and move them to faith? How would that change your prayer life? I don't, I don't just hope that things happen. I have confidence that there will be shift. I have confidence that the church as we know it is probably going to change because it always does, but it's going to rise and it's going to shift communities. It's going to change things around us. 
healing. I put faith in the fact that scripture declares that healing is available. And so when I come to God and I say, God, I'm looking at my friend and I'm seeing the situation, what's gonna happen? I don't wanna just have hope that something shifts and hope that there's change. I wanna have faith. I wanna have faith that something changes. What about the relationships we have with the different races around us? Our community will never be whole until we love one another for who they are. I have faith that we can build these bridges. I have faith that we can see change with, with the race relationships around us. Relationships in our families, we, we have faith that there can be change. We have faith that division can end. And we have faith that the God of peace is stronger than the God of war. We have faith in these things. There is a, a man who, at 81 years old, he, um, he passed on and Christianity Today posted that uh, 40,000 people came to his funeral in Egypt. Imagine having a funeral, 40,000 people were like, I'm gonna miss that guy. His name was uh, Buna Saman. He was a Coptic priest in Egypt. He did something drastic in his life. He noticed that there was a lot of poor Christians moving from the north of Egypt to the south and choosing to escape persecution by living in garbage dumps. And so he looked at this and said, okay, as a Jesus follower, I, I'm going to move there. Me and my family, we're, gonna, we're going to take up residence. Because he believed that there is a better life available for every single human. So in this garbage dump, which uh, by the 1990s had over 90,000 people living in it. But this guy said that, you know, something can be different, something can shift. So started establishing a church and established a monastery. And then through that, they established a recycling program. And through that, they established centers for garbage control. Then they established shops and on and on and on. It probably looked impossible to most people. However, he churned his hope that something would happen into faith. But then he took another step. And this is where I think we're at today. Because these things are good to have faith for. But James 2.26 tells us that faith without works is dead. Matthew 9.37 tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm pretty convinced that that doesn't mean go find more laborers. It means why don't you become a laborer? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When we as a church help people find hope so they can find faith, so that they can walk it out, 
we start seeing things really shift. And it's that walking out piece that moves this along further down the road. Because we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We can't do that if we're stuck on hope or we're stuck on faith. We need to be walking that out on a daily basis. And maybe for you, that just means praying with someone that you know at work. Maybe it means telling them about Jesus. Maybe it means helping somebody who's having a, a, a financial struggle. Maybe it means making a meal for someone that you know is sad right now. Maybe it means working towards restoring relationships. Maybe it means working towards healing divisions. Maybe it means believing a little harder for your own healing. We need to move from hope to faith so that we can see the actualization of the kingdom of God on planet Earth. We believe that during the Christmas season, as we celebrate that heaven came down, we can have faith in our almighty God. We can believe the same as Abuna Saman. Even more so. As we see heaven come to earth.